0: Mac Power Users, Episode 163, Education Workflows with Fraser Spears. Hello everyone, this is David Sparks. I'm podcasting live from 50,000 feet inside a B-17 flying fortress.
1: <laughs> is uh, that what that is?
0: Yeah, either that or my neighbor's mowing his lawn. But uh, we have with us today, Fraser Spears. Hi, Fraser. Hi there. How are you doing? I guess I should say hi to you, too, Katie. How are you?
1: Yeah, I'm just hanging out here.
0: Okay. <laughs> One of my very favorite episodes we did last year was with Fraser, where he talked about education and the iPad. Um, Fraser is a, an educator and, and a geek, and he is managing a one-to-one program. Phrase I forget, what was the name of your school again? It's it's called Cedar School. Yeah, Cedar School. And and yeah. so you have been on the cutting edge of this problem of helping kids move forward using iPads, and you're just one of the smartest people in this space, and I, I really enjoyed that show. And I wanted to have you come back, and we could just talk about what's changed, what's better, what's worse, Uh, in the last year sure yeah
2: thanks for having me back i really appreciate it
0: and and, you know i I, before we even get into it because i don't want to forget this fraser has a podcast now and it deals with these issues in in mac power user style detail every episode going through this stuff in in great depth and uh if you're listening to the show and want to follow up with this stuff i highly recommend listening to the podcast and where's where's that at fraser
2: so the show is called out of school and the website is outofschool.net, and you can find it on iTunes and in most of the podcast directories and the apps nowadays.
0: Yeah, and you're doing that with Bradley Chambers, aren't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, we've been doing that for about a year now.
2: Yeah. Uh, we, we just went past the year in August, so it's it's been great. Yeah. Feedback's been fantastic.
0: Yeah, well, I think it's really great that you, you, you have that out there, because I know there's a lot of people in education that have a lot of interest in this. Now, if you're not in education, I still want you to listen to the show because Fraser knows a heck of a lot about the iPad and has some really great insight, and I think you're going to get better at your iPad before the show's over. So,
1: so Fraser, where one do of we th- start,
0: Katie?
1: One of the things that we said when we ended the last episode is is we're going to have to have him back every year or so just to kind of give us the the update of the state of all things iPad and education. I think it's it's been a little more than a year, but perhaps not too much. And I know there've been some big changes um, to the iPad. In, um, and both with hardware and software, I think since the last time you were here, we've had the upgrade to the iPad 4th gen, and now we've got the new iPad Air and the new Retina iPad Mini. Um, iOS 7 has mm-hmm. come out. And I know your school has done an upgrade from their original mm-hmm. first-generation iPads, which is what they were using um, when you first came on the show about a year or so ago, and now they've gone through a big revision. Mm-hmm. So why don't you just give us a, a general um, kind of update on, on what has changed in your school in the last 18 months or so?
2: Sure. I mean, I, I, there's hardware and software, like you said, and, and obviously the the big software story, we had iOS 6 in the past year as well, but um, iOS seven's obviously been a, a major change. Hardware-wise, we've seen the introduction of a. Two sizes of iPad. You know, we've had the sm- the iPad two and the, and the fastest iPad, but now we've also got the mini, and now we're looking at sort of a matrix of four iPads, if you like, with the the older and newer iPad full size and the older and newer mini as well. Um, so we at Cedars we have we missed the transition to iOS six. We we never ran iOS six at all because we were on iPad one, which didn't get that update. So we had kind of a quiet year in terms of maintenance uh, in, in the last year of our, our first lease because there was no there was no new operating system to deal with.
0: Yeah, so you didn't have to that, change anything and the, the yeah. trains were running, you know, just kept it going.
2: Yeah, I mean what what we saw towards the end of that year, the, the third year on iPad 1 was that uh not to put too fine a point on it, a lot of app developers lost their discipline. With memory usage for devices that run with that little memory, I mean the iPad One, obviously two hundred fifty-six megs of RAM. So we we saw and not instability in the operating system, but instability in certain apps. We saw that developers had put they had started to sort of assume iPad Two and later hardware. Which, to be fair to developers, is, is probably the right call for their business because of you know of. I mean, Tim Cook just announced the other week 170 million iPads have been sold, and of that, 14 million were iPad ones. So it's not like there's a massive number of them in the field. Yeah, it just right. so happened that we had, <laughs> we were all iPad one. Um, so, but, but you know, we got to the end of that lease. We got to the summer, and uh, those those machines just kept on trucking. You know, they were we we achieved. And this is interesting news. Actually, we achieved um, a, a a failure rate of two percent per year. And a, and a damage rate of 2% per year over three years uh, wow, of 115 devices. So Damn. that was that was real news. A yeah. uh,
0: damage rate of 2%, and you've got school children using them all day. Yeah, How do all you- day, every single day of school. All right, now could you I've please I've come ask, over here and talk to my children? What,
1: and, and, <laughs> and what case are you using? Are you, like, duct-taping these things into big balls so that they can bounce them off the walls, or...? <laughs>
2: no that was with the original you remember the original I, apple ipad case the first one that came out yeah, yeah. because we, we got we got our ipads so early in the whole life cycle of the, of the product that was the only case we could have bought because there weren't any other cases for the ipad back then so we just got that one and we and, and amazingly that case survived as well I mean some of them were pretty tatty by the end but um, they, they, they held on and you know, there's a couple of aspects to that. I mean, when I say 2% failure and 2% damage, I'm, I'm classifying failure as things that would have been a warranty a coverage if they had been in warranty and damage damages things where somebody dropped it or whatever and broke it. Um, so we we saw uh, 2% of each of those every year. Uh, total of about 14 devices had to get replaced over out of 115 over the course of three years. And you think about that, that's more than 300 per, pupil years of of use uh, on ipad and you know we got such a small number there's a few factors to that i think that the biggest factor by far is the fact that our school has carpet almost everywhere that makes a big difference yeah for dropping (laughs) yeah because they have been dropped no question about it Uh, and and they're there to be used you know this is the other thing it's they're there to be used so we want kids to have uh, a lot of use of them um but we also, I think one of the things about being a one-to-one school is that when you build a certain culture of responsibility around these things, and pupils treat them very carefully, because shared devices, nobody ever cares about them. It doesn't matter whether it's an iPad or whether it's a laptop. Uh, people don't invest themselves in it because they don't think it's theirs.
0: Yeah, so, uh, so when they get off a cart, use it for a couple hours, they put it mm-hmm. back, they don't really care. But if it's something they're carrying home every day and it's in their bag,
2: it's their yeah. iPad. And, and it's only that pupil that's going to be affected if it gets abused. Yeah. It's not going to upset anybody else because nobody else uses that device. Yeah. And so, you, so you have made the remarkable.
1: transition. From we a, have, yeah. From an original in the iPad. Summer, <clears throat>
2: mm-hmm. we, we no longer have those devices. We now have um, iPad 4th uh, generation, the ones with the A6 processor in them. Uh, we went also went from 16 gigs to 32 gig ipads this year because this is the first this is the first year that we have um we have uh used ipads with a camera on them so the camera uh is obviously a very high resolution device can generate a lot of a lot of uh, data we reckon that it's probably about one gigabyte every 10 minutes from from the back camera on an ipad so we wanted kids to do a lot of video editing and work and, and we wanted to make sure that they had enough working space to be able to do that
0: So, how did the upgrade go?
2: The upgrade went pretty well. Um, it was it, it was a fairly clean upgrade because basically what we did was we took the kids' iPads away and said, "Okay, uh, you're you're getting a clean iPad back." We're not we didn't restore data, we didn't transfer apps across because we were changing our deployment method as well. So, what we did was we used Google Drive. So, towards the end of the last school year, we did a a big evaluation of various kinds of. Uh, Sort of near line and off offboard data storage for iPads. We looked at Dropbox, looked at Evernote, and looked at Google Drive. And Google Drive came out the clear winner on that.
1: So at and the, then, at the so end of the last that- year, before before the kids turned in these devices to you, and you did the upgrade over the summer, you kind of started this migration to moving moving their documents over to Google Drive and getting them signed up with Google accounts, knowing that starting at the new school year when they came in and they had new iPads that they'd just be able to log in with their Google information and and their stuff would download.
2: That's that's correct, yeah. We we had them uh, upload not everything, but the things that we thought uh, either teachers liked or the pupils wanted to keep, um, upload that to their Google Drive because we were already a Google App school and have been for quite a number of years. And the fact that our kids already had usernames and passwords to log in to Google Drive um, that meant that we it was an easy transition for us, and we all we had to do was deploy the app, and the kids could log in, and, and they were ready to go. Whereas with Dropbox or Evernote, that would have been another set of accounts to manage, and so on.
1: Yeah. Now, I I think you've talked about it elsewhere, but I'm not sure we've mentioned it here. the The iPad that you ultimately upgraded to, uh, what model was that, and why did you decide to go with that particular model? When when, as you mentioned, there there were multiple options available.
2: Okay. So yeah, at the at the time, our choice was basically. Uh, Fourth-generation iPad, iPad 2, or the original iPad mini with the non-retina display. And the decision we made, we, looked, we had a couple of iPad minis to look at. And our decision, well, the first thing to say is because we are small school, uh, it's not very sensible for us to split our deployment in any way. Because when you are small, the, the proportions of like the senior school and the junior school or any, even any one class can change quite radically between year to year, so we didn't want to have like uh, iPad minis for the young kids and full size iPads for the older kids because then next year the numbers would be different. So it was going to have to be one device for the whole school. Okay. And on that basis, we 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 handed that iPad out to um, younger kids, had had them have a look at it, older kids, and the older kids in particular said, "Look, this is just way too small." Because the thing is, we spend all our time on the iPad. Let me rephrase that all of our computer time is spent on the iPad. We don't use the iPad every single minute of the school day, but whenever we're using a computer, it's the iPad. And, and so they're typing,
0: right, on it? They're typing on the on-screen they're keyboard. They're typing on it? Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yep. And, and if you want to give that to you know an 18-year-old boy or something, you know, his hands are bigger than uh, everything else, and uh, it, it just looked ridiculous to me. And it was, it was kind of ridiculous to them that, I mean, the thing I've always said about smaller tablets, right, whether it be the Nexus 7 or the iPad mini, is that those are fantastic if you also have access to a computer in order to do bigger bits of work. Uh, Whereas a 10 inch iPad can replace that computer for most of the jobs that you want to do. And that that was the kind of guiding philosophy behind not choosing the iPad mini uh, is because we needed something that would do a lot of work for us. The same thing, uh, you know, this is no longer true uh, is with the new announcements, but at the time you were looking at a 50% speed hit for taking an iPad mini. Yeah. Because Cause they were still based on the A five and the, and then the bigger ones were based on the six.
0: So that was really an issue because you were looking at an option that was really old, an old chip inside of it. So, uh, yeah. And with the idea that if you had another three year lifespan from these computers, they would feel mm-hmm. really old in a couple of years.
2: Well, that's the thing. I'm, I'm, I was trying to decide on a machine that would last us till twenty sixteen. And the question was, do I get a, a twenty twelve design or a twenty eleven design, you know? Yeah. Um so we we went for the, the full size iPad partly because it was A six based as well. And that was a, a nice speed bump over A five as well. Not as dramatic as the A7, I don't think. Um, I mean that the the effect of moving to the A7 chip on the iPad Mini is massive. I mean they've jumped a whole generation of processor. And today, I think that calculation might be a little different, but I still think the physical size is is critical for 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 heavy heavy use in school. And we are very heavy users of iPad. I think that um, that was really the thing that kind of came down on one side for the the size question. I, I- it also, as I said, went thirty two gig.
0: Yeah, you know, I was originally uh, really, quest- I really questioned the on-screen keyboard for the full-size iPad. And I bought, you know, a keyboard you can attach to it that I still use on occasion. But I've got to the point where I do a lot of typing on screen on the big iPad with no trouble. I mean, mm-hmm. even on airplanes, I, I get by just fine with it. And I bet the students do even better than I do.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, in very large part, the the question of the virtual keyboard is a question of practice. And people like me who have made the transition from a plastic keyboard to a virtual keyboard, I've been able to do that because I've put in a lot of time to practice it. But for kids who are just starting out with computers uh, and their, their first keyboard is a virtual keyboard, then, you know, it makes no sense to them necessarily like to go to a plastic keyboard, except in exceptional circumstances.
0: Another thing you've um, got with the iPad four is dictation. Do the kids use that?
2: Um, I, it's hard to get good accuracy with that in a noisy classroom. Yeah. Uh, and I think teachers are not terribly keen to have everybody in the class, you know, 15, 20 kids dictating, uh, text to their iPad. I'm sure some kids have used it at home um and it was a wee bit of a, a debate you know is it does it really qualify if you dictate your essay you know um I don't think we're we're caring particularly much about that as long as the essay is good at the end of the day, yeah
0: exactly I my mean, my daughter does it i I've walked in a room when she's been using Siri to or the the text the voice to text feature to write a paper mm-hmm. and and I'm like, you know what that's the way of the future. That was one of the best points you made in our last show when we were talking about it. And, and I'm like, well, what about Microsoft Office? And you said, well, we're training CEOs, not secretaries. And that has stuck with me. And in fact, in with my own kids, as I watch and try and help them deal
2: with technology, that statement really had
0: an impact on
2: me. Yeah, and I think it's, uh, it's reflected in the sort of emphasis that we put on different parts of the office suite, if you like, in school, is so that we're, we're big on presentation skills because, you know, that's... Everybody can type, you know, and nobody's going to leave school not being able to type. But being leaving school, being able to present and communicate, it, you know, puts you head and shoulders above people who can't do that or have never had the experience of doing it.
0: You know, while we're talking about the different iPads, I'd like to jump out of the school for a minute and just talk about the new iPads themselves because uh, I've been following you on Twitter and you have got your hands on an iPad air and you've been broadcasting some of the benchmarks and it sounds like you're pretty impressed with it.
2: Yeah. I mean, I've, I, I'm unbelievably impressed with it. I mean, I think it is one of the most important iPads that has ever been built. Um, and I, I don't think that's an exaggeration. Obviously it's hugely faster. So, I mean, I'll tell you what I, where I've come from and what I've got. I, I had a third generation iPad, yeah, 64 gig yeah. cellular model. Um, and now I have I've gone to the iPad Air, uh, and I went up to 128 gigs this time, and still with the cellular cellular networking on an iPad is absolutely essential for what I do. Uh, not ju- not particularly in school, but when I travel and consult other places, it's really really important to have that um, capability. So, but one of the things you know, since we last spoke, one of the things that I've started doing is with the podcast. When I'm traveling, uh, we've started recording the podcast using an iPad and not a Mac. So there have been trips I've taken this year where um, I haven't taken my Mac with me at all. And we've still done the podcast when I've been on the road.
1: Tell and me about for, that. For how, that. How we'll do you do that? App
2: called, yeah. Yeah. We've been using an app called Aurea. That's A-U-R-I-A. Uh, and the LE version is is fine for podcasting. There's a pro version that does more for, for music. But it is incredibly impressive. You know, for an iOS app, it is beyond anything that I thought was possible with iOS. It's It's not the most iOS of designs, but it does it it does the job.
1: So are you still contact uh, connecting through Skype and then having that run in the background mm -hmm. to record the audio?
2: Yeah. So what we what I typically do is we'll do the call either over Skype or over um, FaceTime audio now. Uh, And that's I'm doing that uh, on my phone with, you know, phone headphones in and the calls going that way. And then I have a Samsung Meteor microphone, which is a little fold up uh, travel microphone and the iPad camera connection kit and the iPad. And all I do is I record my end into Aurea and then Bradley will record his end and put it into Dropbox. Aurea has Dropbox import, so I can just pull his audio file down from Dropbox, put it into the into the track editor. I can edit the whole show there as it's remarkably powerful what you can do there and then i just mix it down on the ipad and upload it to dropbox that's crazy and thing that david was alluding to yeah and and then bradley deals with all the posting of the, of the file so that's the that's the only bit i think we can't do from ios right now is to actually upload the file to the web uh but we're working on that too
1: Wow. So you've actually kind of got were alluding a.
2: Alluding to David was the performance. Yeah, yeah,
1: a, a three-mic setup. So the mic that Bradley hears you through is just your iPhone speaker mic, which is probably fine, you yeah. know, for for him to converse with you like a telephone call. But the mic mm-hmm. that you're recording into yeah. for audio for your podcast is a little higher end, um, the Samsung Meteor mic that that you're actually recording on mm-hmm. a separate device that's just sitting on the desk next to you. Yeah. Well, that's, so that's I'm, basically,
2: I'm working with two devices at once. Yeah.
0: When you told me you're doing yeah. it, I thought what, what I thought that meant was you were recording yourself on your iPad. And then Bradley was taking the, the audio file and doing the post on his Mac somewhere. But you're telling me you're actually mixing it
2: down on your iPad. That, that kind of blows Absol- me away. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. Full end, full end to end production of, of the audio file, not of the whole show production. Cause there's always a bit of uploading at the end, but, um, the the podcast we've done two episodes now where we have done end to end production uh, on an, on iOS. So from nothing to having a finished MP3 file, just using the iPad. Now does it
0: is it is it a worse quality? I mean, do, does the quality suffer for doing it on the iPad? I mean, you you clearly don't have the tools that you'd have with something like Logic Pro on Aria.
2: Yeah, I mean, we normally do the show using Adobe Audition on the Mac. Um, and that's, that's a wonderful application. It's incredibly powerful and fast. But I, I think number one, um, I'm not as well practiced with Aurea as I am with Adobe Audition So I, many of the, the failures are my own rather than the software's. Yeah. But, um, secondly, th- there aren't as many, um, manipulation tools for the, the audio waveforms. So when I, I record in, in Audition on the Mac, I'll, I'll normalize the file and smooth it a little bit and, and do a lot of things to make the audio sound better. There aren't as many controls like that for Aurea. So it's more important if you like to get a good recording, a good clean recording at the start. Uh, and if you do that, then it, it can be fine.
0: You know, I'm thinking about this. <laughs> and uh, back when the iPad came out, everybody was telling me this is great, but it's still kind of a toy. And my comment was always give it a few years as the hardware gets more powerful and the software gets more powerful. The gap is going to close with the computers and it mm-hmm. it really feels to me with this new A7 chip and the hardware that Apple's making now and the way software is coming out, like something like ARIA, that we're getting closer yeah. to that point than sooner than I thought we
2: would. Well, without question, you know, I think one of the experiences that we've had over the past, uh, since 2010 with the iPad, since over the life of the iPad, it's been that year upon year upon year the things that people told me in 2010 that you would never be able to do in an iPad, I'm I'm now doing them all on an iPad. Yeah. So, I mean, if you look at things like iMovie for iOS, I mean, that is phenomenal what that can do. iPhoto for iOS has obsoleted about 15 different standalone applications that had been ported to iPad from the iPhone. Things like Color Splash and, and Tilt Shift Generator and various other apps. Yeah. Um, we used to deploy 15 or 20 of those apps just to be able to manipulate pictures. And now all we deploy is iPhoto. And the same thing with things like Aurea. I mean, Aurea is is just over the top, but there's other ones that are kind of like that as well. And I think if you look at something like Evernote, where the the level of parity that has now been achieved between the Evernote desktop app and the the iOS app is is far beyond what we thought was possible earlier on.
0: Yeah, I, I almost prefer Evernote on my iPad over the Mac now. That's really, I really oh, like that. I, I do too.
2: Yeah. Katie, can you? I just tell you my numbers? Can I just tell you my numbers yeah. from Aurea? Yeah. Uh, that was the bit that I never quite got to. Um, the the last stage of, of producing the podcast is uh, mixing it down and then turning it into an MP3. I think the native uh, recording format is Wave. And I, I did a test last night. I took a, uh, the show from a couple of weeks ago and I put the project onto both my third generation iPad and my iPad Air and timed how long it took to convert the show the third generation iPad for a 62 minute show took 57 minutes to convert to MP3, uh, which is always the most agonizing part of this whole process. iPad air did it in 14 minutes. Wow. <laughs> yeah. You
0: know, I, I have, so I have I'm like you have the iPad three and I also have a mini um, the first generation mini. And so mm-hmm. I'm going to get a new one this year. I'm pretty sure it's going to be the, the mini because I just want the retina screen so badly. and, and it's nice mm. when I travel, but, but boy, you guys really uh, are making a good case for the Air. The, <laughs> now, now, what what do you think about the difference between the new, the two new currently shipping iPads or about to be shipping iPads, the Retina Mini and the iPad Air? Yeah.
2: Well, I, I think the thing I'm, I'm most kind of pleased about is the fact that there's no longer a performance discussion to be had between the two, uh, and it's very much more like which one just suits you better, which yeah. one fits your hands better, which one. Uh, suits your needs better because what i what i love about this is that the discussion is not i mean we've we've geeked out over the speeds of the a7 chip but the real discussion for for people that we are going to help to choose to buy an ipad now the discussion for them is only about what they want to do with the computer yeah it's not it's not about you know do you want this amount of ram or that amount of ram or how much ssd or whatever it's just what do you want to do with it and then you know Either one will be fine, basically, but do you want one that will fit in your pocket or your purse or your backpack, or do you want to carry a separate bag or whatever?
0: I had a, one of my sisters travels a lot, and she wants to get an iPad, and she called me last night, and I said, do you want a big screen, or do you want to carry it in your purse? And she says, I want to carry it in my purse. And I said, okay, Retina Mini.
2: It was that easy. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, only, uh, the only fly in the, the I mean I think, with these iPads is that... Um, I really think Apple should have dropped the 16 gigabyte model. Yeah. yeah, I think they
0: should have bumped them all up 32, 64, 128, and just got rid of 16.
1: Right, because now yeah, with the with I, the I, lines we've we've got yeah. four now instead of three. Although, arguably, in order to do that, David, mm-hmm. and keep the price points, that they would have now had to start them yet another hundred dollars more expensive.
0: Or, or don't you think they could afford to get 32 at the old 16 price? I mean,
1: well, but they haven't. I it. don't
0: know. I I think they could. <laughs> but uh,
1: This is how they keep me. the margins.
0: Yeah, I guess. I guess. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah I'm about fact- to ship a book that's going to be nearly a gigabyte. So, on a 16-gigabyte iPad, I'd take one-sixteenth of all your memory for one book. That's not going to work.
2: S- space- I did a little calculation recently that um, showed that uh, when you install iOS 7, and then you install all the free apps from Apple – you're using about 3.5 gigabytes of, of uh, iPad storage. So all the iLife apps, all the iWork apps, iOS 7, podcasts, Find My Friends, Find My iPhone, um, that's already taking you know a chunk of your, your whole storage. And, and
0: that's without content. I mean, so it's just getting mm-hmm. in the door. I mean, everybody famously made fun of, of Microsoft. I think, was it the Surface where it shipped yeah. and the operating system took like half of the available memory the sp- space
2: yeah it was, it was like 12 gigabytes or something from a 32 i think yeah it
0: was. so you know mm-hmm. apple's not far behind uh with that <laughs> hopefully they'll they'll get that with the next generation but i i uh i haven't recommended anybody buy a 16 in a long time
1: yeah, yeah. i've i've yeah. always I'm, bought I'm the sixteen. And uh, this is the first year I'm I'm going to buy the 32. And and I apologize by the way. There's there's a little bit of delay, so I think we're getting a, a, a touch of talk. We'll, we'll try to clean some of that up in editing. So I I apologize for for talking over you guys. It's
0: okay. No problem. I'm used to it.
1: You know. <laughs> uh, for, for, the other the uh, other thing and- I wanted to talk to you about was there's a there's a little bit of one of the changes that that happened is you mentioned that you skipped iOS 6 completely. But when you upgraded Mm -hmm. to the fourth gen iPad, if you did that over the summer, you would have gotten fourth generation iPads Mm -hmm. with iOS 6, which would have been a new operating system. And then we had iOS 7 come out uh, this fall. So have you made that iOS 7 transition and and how did you handle that? And were there any problems along that way?
2: Yeah, we have. Um, We ran iOS 6. I mean, I was slightly incorrect when I said that. We ran iOS 6 for about two weeks. <laughs> yeah. and then um iOS seven came out um I think the, the transition has been a little rough uh, we, we ran into a couple of bugs um with certain kinds of iPad, or, sorry, or certain kinds of iPads deployed in a certain way um through Apple configurator that's been more difficult um the kids who what we've done basically to, to back up and give you context we split our deployment in the sense that um the younger kids under 12 or 13, um, we are managing their iPad for them through Apple configurator. The older kids are managing their iPads themselves on their own Apple ID.
1: And, and if I recall, to um, you, you didn't have Apple configurator, um, or at least you didn't have as good of options with it in the last show. So is that a, that a change from before?
2: Yeah, that's, that's new in the past year. I mean, it was about a year ago now that a volume purchase came to the UK so when we deployed for our final year in the iPad ones, we still didn't have volume purchase, and as a result, you couldn't really do much with Apple Configurator if you don't have volume purchase. So we hadn't used Apple Configurator until this year. Uh, so the, the the deploy the initial deployment with Configurator was okay, but we ran into quite a few bugs with uh, the transition to iOS seven, and had a couple of kind of unfortunate incidents with a couple of iPads. Um, so there was also because there's also the possibility of kids updating over the year on their own device, even in the case of managed iPads. So when we de- when we updated some of them over the air, that caused a problem with Configurator. The ones you updated through Configurator were fine. So in the end, it was only maybe seven or eight iPads, but the recovery of that has has been pretty difficult. I'm surprised that if an ap- if a
0: device is managed through Configurator, that they would let the user update the entire operating system over the air like that.
2: Yeah, well, you know how much emphasis Apple puts on people being on the original version, or, or the latest version, yeah. rather. Um, it's, uh I don't know that that's ever going to be a thing that admins get to control. I know some people in some schools have, they've managed it by uh filtering out the Apple software update server. IP, <laughs> okay. But that doesn't work for us, because a lot of our kids take them home at night, yeah. so they could do it at home, you know? Yeah, so...
0: So what what were I mean just without getting into gory detail what were the problems that came from that just the configurator wouldn't connect and and control the device anymore
2: Well there there was a there was a bug that's that's kind of well known now where <clears throat> if you had restore if you deployed the iPad by restoring it from a backup um was a, as a sort of imaging technique for iPads where you you make one the way you want it and then you restore the others from that um Updating them over the air would cause it to sometimes lose its connection to Configurator. Uh, so Configurator then couldn't install any new apps onto those iPads. Um, but the ones that we updated through Configurator didn't exhibit that problem. And the ones were uh, for the secondary kids, where we had prepared them without restoring them from a backup. So they were basically handed out completely fresh, showing the setup assistant they were, not, they were not affected because they hadn't been set up with a restored backup. Yeah. Uh, so it, it, it's only affected a few, but it was particular. Um,
0: All right. Well, yeah. I would like to talk about some of the new things we've had and how it affects uh, education. But before we do that, I'd like to take a brief moment to talk about our sponsor. We have an exclusive sponsor for the show, and that's PDF. Uh, or Smile Software with some of their products. The first would be PDF Pen for iOS and their new product, PDF Pen Scan Plus. Um, I did a screencast on PDF Pen Scan Plus, which you can find over at smilesoftware.com slash PDF Pen slash scan. And I'm really kind of proud of it. It came out really great. But so what this does is it's an application. You can put it on your iPhone or your iPad. And let's say you're at you're at some place and there's a document and you want to add it to your system. Maybe you're sitting there eating lunch and you want to save the receipt to your system. You can take a picture of it with this application and it will automatically find the edges of the document for you and turn it into a PDF file. But that's not all it will do. It will also apply optical character recognition to it. So after you take the picture of your receipt for your burrito, um, it will actually go through it and it will say, oh, he's at Chipotle, and there's his burrito, because it, it recognizes the words right in the document. Then from right inside the application, you can go ahead and upload that file to Dropbox or whatever cloud service you want. And you can save it anywhere you want in Dropbox. So for instance, in my case, I've got that great action folder that I've talked about in the past that Hazel's always watching. Well, Hazel uses optical character recognition files. It looks at the contents of the file and will name it and file it for me. So I get done eating the burrito. It takes a it, it, Hazel sees it on my Mac. Cause I just uploaded it to Dropbox from the road hazel renames it as an expense saves it to my tax file and it goes away all that's done just from this one ios application i love it love love it i've been using it all the time and it works it's rock solid it takes a picture it adds the ocr and it puts it up you can also use it from within the application to go straight into pdf pen uh the PDF pin application on iOS. So like for instance, on the iPad, I'll be somewhere and there's a document like in my day job, you know, stiffy day job. I'll take a picture of a contract and it will apply the OCR to it. And then I can send it right over to PDF pin on my iPad and it will start allowing me to go through and annotate it in pdf pin because the ocr has been performed it's it's just a really great service we've never really had a quality optical character recognition system on the ios devices now we do and not only does it do optical character recognition it'll take a picture of an existing document and format it just right so you can use it somewhere uh, you can get it right now for four ninety nine on the ios app store it's a fantastic application like i said i'm using it daily um, go check it out I'm sure you'll find a use for it. And if you're a paperless person, this is definitely something you're going to want. So thanks, Smile, for sponsoring the show. And we will uh, move right back to Fraser and talk about some education.
1: Yeah, so there's um, been so, a lot of changes with Apple and education. I think since the last time we had, before we when we had you on, we didn't have iBooks Author. And I know David's life has changed a lot with with iBooks Author. And, you know, Apple pitched this mainly to um, education as this is great. You're going to get all of your textbooks on iBooks Author and these are going to be fabulous textbooks experiences. And hey, teachers, you're going to be able to write your own textbooks and your own curriculum in iBooks Author. So I guess the, the first question is, has that happened and has the promise of iBooks Author paid off or are you guys using it all in, in your school?
2: Has the promise of iBooks Author paid off? No, is the answer to that. Aww. Um uh, at, at least in terms of the way that it was initially sold um, at Apple's education event in 2012, um, where they were basically saying that publishers are going to produce books in this format and you're going to buy them for your iPads. That has not happened in any form that I'm aware of in the UK and particularly in Scotland. Um, we've we've got new exams are, are starting uh, this year in our school and there are publishers who are, are producing books for these exams who are not producing digital versions at all of any kind. Um, So there's a wee bit of a kind of chicken and egg situation going on um, in the sense that they're waiting for schools to have a lot of iPads before they produce electronic versions. Um, And I suppose some schools are waiting for there to be textbooks before they buy iPads, so who's going to break that? But I think um, the way I look at iBooks Author is that I kind of think of it like Keynote for text in the sense that you can you can use it for big things and you can use it for small things. And with no effort, you get something that looks pretty good. And with a reasonable bit of effort, you get something that can be amazing. And I think what we have done with iBooks Author, what teachers have done with iBooks Author is much more interesting than what publishers have done with it, um, which is essentially nothing very much uh, that is worth talking about. But having that tool in the hands of individual teachers is potentially quite interesting.
0: So, have you had some teachers use it and and in what ways are they implementing it?
2: I've done a couple of things with it where I have taken small articles, uh, reasonably short things that I wanted to teach, and turned them into electronic books with additional annotations and additional content and links. Uh, For example, I teach a class called History of Computing where we look at all them, the sort of pioneers of computing and, and the people who were involved in the development of certain important topics. And one of the articles we teach is uh, As We May Think by Vannevar Bush, which is a, a fantastic article if you can get past the archaic language that he uses and the references to analog technology that we kids today just don't understand because they don't have the background experience of things like records. film photography and such and such things so i i used ibooks author to turn that into a book for the kids that had used um additional content and um, annotations and glossary entries to explain things like wax cylinders to the kids uh, so that they could understand it a bit better so i've seen some interesting things like that and one of my colleagues has also done his uh, school report cards using iBook, iBooks author and send it home with you know pictures of the kids doing things in school, uh, video clips of the kids performing whatever skills they, they have uh, inside the report card and send that home on the kids iPads. And that was a massive hit with the parents. The parents absolutely loved that.
0: You know what? That's uh, fascinating. I, I would never think of making a report card with iBooks author, but now that yeah, you yeah. explain it, it makes a lot of sense
2: yeah is it, the the big wish would be to make it quicker to do that yeah I think um but at the same time, I think the payoff for doing it if you can maybe do it once a year instead of twice or three times a year, depending on how often you report i think that that could be a big win, and parents certainly love it to bits.
0: What about itunes u are you guys using that
2: mm mm-hmm. yeah the iTunes u is bigger for us uh most uh most classes are using it now. Um, I, w- I would say that what we've found with that is that the classes that the classes where we've kind of rewritten the course or redesigned the course to be built around iTunes U are more popular with the kids than the ones where we've taken the old materials and just uploaded PDFs and sent them out through iTunes U so more, the more native the course the better um, and we don't have that many that are sort of fully iTunes U native right now if you like but that's something we're working on Yeah, you know, I, I what we have, sorry uh, you know, it could, uh, no go ahead please I was going to say what we have also found is that for some of the sort of lower secondary kids, uh, the, there are some issues with the design of iTunes U that can be a little bit overwhelming for them. Um, and in particular, the fact that um, iTunes U doesn't do anything about hiding completed assignments. So that can quickly turn into quite a kind of overwhelming list of things. Um, even if they're complete, they're still all in the list. So some of the, there could be some interface tweaks that could really help there.
0: Yeah. And so, and I, I, the point I want to make, I didn't, we jumped into iTunes U without really explaining it. So iTunes U is a, it's an app and it's, 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 I guess I'd call it a service that Apple does where you can put a mm-hmm. course up in iTunes U and you can put the, the lectures or the written materials up and anybody can download them. I've actually taken courses in iTunes U on subjects of interest to me from universities that just make this stuff publicly available. But in, in Fraser school, the the individual teachers are putting up their content through iTunes U to their students, right?
2: Yeah, a- Apple were, th- there was some kind of back and forth at the, in the early days of iTunes U about whether, who would be allowed to make courses and how available would they be. Uh, and and over the course of the last year, it's been a case of uh, progressively more and more people getting access to iTunes U to the point now where uh, individual teachers can just go in and make a course that doesn't mean they can put it on the iTunes store. That's still a little bit more restricted, but you can then, you can then at least use it with your class uh, without having to make it public. And and almost none of our courses are public. You know, we've made 50, 60, 70 courses over the course of the last year and this year, and none of them are available on iTunes because they're all just internal for the school.
0: Now, the written materials that, that go through iTunes, you are still just PDF, right?
2: Um. Well, no, you can upload uh, a document of... I was going to say any kind, but that's not true. There are some supported formats. You can put up uh PDFs, Word documents, and so on. Uh, you can also put EPUBs and iBooks author files. Okay. So if you want to use an iBooks author document, you can actually distribute it to your students through an iTunes U course rather than having to put it on the store, which you, you may not want either want to or be allowed to do.
0: I didn't know that. Well, that's that's really great. I mean, my kids and actually my wife is going to school right now, getting a certificate, and I'm they're all using uh, electronic books. But every time I look at any of them, they're just flat PDFs, and they're they're really just mm-hmm. pictures of a real of a printed book. It's just the PDF file from the printed mm. book, and it, it seems to me such a disappointment. Some of them don't even have OCR on them, where you could select text. It's I right. I can't yeah. get over how slow. Yeah. The textbook industry is about embracing this stuff.
2: Well, I, I think one of the, the interesting issues about it is that they may have to either hurry up or forget about it because we we had some, a company who, in the UK who have developed a kind of textbook rental scheme that works through uh, an app. They came into the school and, and I got our English teachers together. And I said, look, these guys are coming. Do you want to come and see what they're talking about with electronic books? And what they, the teacher said to me, he said, no, we don't want to do that because we don't want our iPads to be locked away as a textbook. Their attitude was that the iPad is much too valuable to be tied up for reading the book when you can have the paper book beside your iPad and then have your iPad free to actually work on. And to take notes. And create and, and write yeah. about, take notes, uh, whatever it is you want to do, make a mind map or actually write an essay on it. Um, and they they reckoned that it was actually almost counterproductive to depend on electronic books in the classroom when that would also lock up your iPad. So I think, you know, maybe what we're looking at in the future is a, a Kindle plus iPad deployment. I'm not sure. Wow. Oh my
1: goodness. We we actually had an interesting That's not experience. an announcement,
2: by the way, that's just an idea. No.
1: Yeah, we actually had an interesting experience here. Um, One of the local mom and pop shops that was, you know, has been around here for, for 20 or 30 years just recently closed down. And it was a little sad because it was one of the shops that was right across the street from the law school that where I went. And over the years they had evolved Mm -hmm. their business and and they had made their business um, kind of by selling these, these course packs that professors had started putting together um, kind of with all the cases and all the case studies and the things that they, they wanted you to learn. And so the professors would team up Mm -hmm. and, and they would put together these course packs and sell them to students. And one of the things that they cited as a reason that they closed down was because the professors were now creating and distributing them themselves Um, And I don't I don't know for sure that Mm -hmm. they were using tools like iBooks author, but that they but they were doing it electronically. And it was a kind of a win win for both the professors. Exactly. Yeah, it was a win win for both the professors and the students, because I guess the professors could do direct distribution to the students. um, And presumably they were charging something for this at the university setting. uh, And the students didn't have to carry around these course packs.
2: Yeah, we when we I talk to teachers uh, in our school, there's a lot of enthusiasm for making iTunes U courses, but there's not that much enthusiasm for making books. And and I think the attitude is that over the course of a year, you're much more flexible in the kind of you you can build up your course as you go, whereas with your book, you've got you've got to sort of have it written at least in one section or, or two sections at a time before you start. Uh, so they prefer the flexibility of being able to post things in itunes you as required in the class rather than having to kind of set it all up in advance and then just dump it out on the first day
0: yeah i don't know about over um on your side of the pond but over here um creating new textbooks is i think a pretty expensive process and there's a lot i think there's even an element of politics involved and i think it's just very complicated mm-hmm. And I wish it was easier because if it was, maybe people would figure out a way to do this. Because our schools are really under a budget crunch right now, and I know they spend a lot of money on books. And it seems to me like there would be a smarter way to make this happen.
1: Yeah, and yeah, and,
2: well the the problem of having a, a two hundred dollar textbook is a particularly American problem. Uh, we we spend nothing like that on textbooks here. So it, you know the the attraction that many American schools have to Get an iPad so they can save money on a textbook, and that was exactly Apple's pitch at their their iBooks Author event when they introduced it. Was look at all these textbooks that are now fourteen ninety nine as opposed to two hundred dollars. Um, that's great for America, but it, it, that is actually a cost increase for us because we actually pay less than that for a paper book.
1: Wow. Yeah. You know, I really liked this promise of the Kindle matchbook service, kind of an interesting name, but a good idea, I thought, in theory, where, hey, if you've bought the physical book from us at some point, you can get the Kindle or the ebook edition for a very small price, sometimes free, sometimes 99 cents, sometimes $1.99. And when that came Mm -hmm. online, at least here in the U.S. earlier last week, I think, uh, when it came online... Uh, out of the probably dozens and dozens, if not hundred, books that I've bought from Amazon over the last couple of years, exactly one was available for Matchbook. And I was just like, oh, pff, hmm. not interested. Yeah. So. Um, one of the other areas that I, I wanted to touch in a bit um, is how do you manage all of these iPads? You, you've you talked a bit about now being able to use the Apple Configurator since you've got this ability to bulk mm-hmm. bulk buy, but but just in turn, and you also talked about how you you've got a fairly low repair rate, but but just administratively, how do you set these up? How do you configure them for the students? Can can the students add their own apps and and how administratively does this work? Because I aren't you the primary, or if not the only one who who administers these, you know, 150 plus iPads.
2: Yeah, I'm the only technical person in the school, so I, I do all of this as well as being a teacher. Um, but what, what we do is we have a split deployment, so that the older kids, the secondary kids, have uh, they have control of their own iPad configuration. So what we do there is we uh, we we gave them the iPad. It was it had some configuration profiles on it, but it was not set up, so it was still showing the swipe to set up screen when they when they got their iPads at first. And what we did with that was we put on some security settings to do with things like the age restrictions of the apps. So the apps can only be 12 plus or less. Um, And we also said uh, no downloading of uh, TV or movies. And that was primarily just for space reasons. We didn't want kids filling up their, their iPad with that kind of content. Um, And also we turned off the, the naughty books in the iBookstore setting that you can have in iOS six and seven, if your device is supervised. So we we, uh, we applied those configurations and we enrolled them in our mobile device management server, and then we handed them out to the kids. And then in the first day, they all sat down on their device. We had them either make or use an Apple ID that they already had, or, or we, ma- we made one with them. Um, and then they were able to go into the the portal in our mobile device management server and download the apps that we had volume purchased for them to have. That's how we did the younger kids, the older kids, sorry, the younger kids. Um, we are managing their configuration directly through, through Apple configurator. So we just install the apps on those devices during our maintenance window in the week.
0: What now, how does the free eye work play into, uh, your licensing at this point? I guess you'd have to buy a new device or.
2: Mm, yeah, I'm not absolutely clear on that yet. Um, I, and I've delayed trying to get clarity on it because it doesn't matter anymore. Cause I've just bought them all. Yeah. I mean, I, I, <laughs> I may have been the last customer of iWork, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> you know, we, we, we paid for, um, licenses for all of the iWork apps and all of the iLife apps for our kids because we thought they were very important and we, then they are very important. Um, I think in general, what it, it's a little confusing the way Apple have done it because they're saying it's free for new customers, uh, the The precise definition of that is a little unclear to me still. But I, I think in general, what it means is that, you know, in, in a situation where you're having kids manage their own devices, you're making a new Apple ID. And I think that's the definition of new customers actually for new Apple IDs. Um, the kids would in principle then be able to go in, make their Apple ID on the iPad, go into the store and the store in iOS 6, the store offered you to download the free app. So I find my iPhone, podcasts um and so on and then now i think what they've done is they've just added all the iLife and iWork apps into that prompt so you could just say download all of these and you get seven or eight apps now some of them quite powerful apps as well and
0: like i I think that's how that works and i i haven't bought a new ios device or a mac and um like on the mac i got uh, upgrades to all of the iWork apps it just it just showed up i pressed update
2: um, did you have them installed before yes yes mm-hmm. from disk or something yeah, yeah i think that's on the mac they're they're adopting any installation you have into your apple id um i don't it's less clear to me how that works on uh, ios because obviously if you they're not new SKUs in the store on ios the way um at least GarageBand is is on, on the mac um but they're actually adding it to your purchase history. Because obviously on iOS, you've never got them any other way. Whereas on the Mac, you had other ways to get them in the past. I
0: just, yesterday, I, I turned on my Mac and went in the App Store and it had the update for Aperture in there. And I bought Aperture on mm. disk. And uh, I held my breath and pressed the update button. And I'm waiting to get a, an email that says I just spent 80 bucks, but I haven't yet. So I <laughs> guess it works for Aperture too yeah. you now. That's nice though.
2: I yeah, like I think that. think that's the understanding. Yeah.
0: The, um, and what it, about this thing in Los Angeles?
1: Yeah, I'm that's, sorry, that's, that's sure. been a, yeah, that's exactly where I was going to go. Cause that's been a big deal. It's been in the papers here where the Los Angeles school district here in the U S has spent millions and millions of dollars deploying iPads to all of their schools. And then some kids who I guess they'll say are troublemakers and I'll say, well, these are pretty smart kids. We need to give them jobs, have figured out how to uh, bypass some of the security settings. And now all of a sudden they're confiscating the iPads back from the children because you know, they're, Potentially, uh, doing naughty things and bypassing the restrictions when they take the, the iPads at home. How do you get around that?
2: Yeah, I mean those horrifying naughty things were like using Instagram, and yeah. going on the shocking, web. Yeah. shocking. Uh, you know, and and, and, and streaming from audio and things. I mean, it was it was hor- horrifying. I mean, I, I can't believe that that was possible. Uh, but seriously, and, and um, as
1: as though the kids don't have access to other those types of things, other places. But you know.
2: Yeah, including in the classroom on their phone. Um, but yeah, I mean, from a technical point of view, what I don't have the inside line on this, so I don't know for sure. But my my interpretation from news reports of what happened technically in LA was that they, they obviously had a lot of iPads to configure, and the easiest way to do that is not to have to touch them. So my guess is what they did was that they used a mobile device management server and they enrolled the devices in MDM And then they use that to push out security profiles to the kids. Now, the the mistake in that approach is that when you send configuration files out over MDM, it is deliberately an Apple design choice that the user of a device is always able to unenroll their device from MDM. What that means, the effect of that is that it's not just the enrollment profile that comes off, But an MDM enrollment profile behaves like a master profile for all the others that came over that channel. So when you unenroll from MDM, all the consequences of being enrolled in MDM go away as well. So, for example, if I was to send a a profile over MDM that said your camera is disabled and then I then unenrolled my device from MDM, the camera would come back to life and start working again and And my interpretation of what happened in l a was basically that that they enrolled the devices in NDM as far as I can tell, pushed out a profile that said "Safari is disabled," and then what the kids figured out the the great hack that was done was that the kids went into settings, general profiles, and then tapped the remove profile button and that that was then back to an iPad that was actually useful for something again. So it, the level of hack ability that was in there was unbelievably low. But uh, of course, some kids are entrepreneurs. So the story was that uh, it was free to friends, but anybody who wasn't a friend had to pay $2 to get their profile taken off. Yeah. Um, <laughs>
1: That's awesome. I mean, horrible, absolutely horrible.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, uh, I think it really from, from uh uh technical point of view that was a mistake but but from a cultural point of view i think they were making a bigger mistake which was that they were trying to they had sold the idea of these devices on the idea that they were pure work devices and i think that was a mistake as well because what they did was they basically they basically created the pressure to do this yeah so they they made the kids want to do that by making it i mean who who wants an ipad that can only look at a pearson maths app Nobody wants that. That's worse than not having an iPad in the first place. Yeah. You know, and, and the kids were quoted in the paper saying, well, you know, these iPads, you can't do anything with them. Yeah. Because they were so locked down into just this educational content and nothing else. And I think, you know, we're, I mean, we're by no means perfect in this either, but I think one of the things we've learned over the course is that um, the more you, the more control you can give the student, the more engaged they become with it. And the more, <clears throat> the more they feel like they own the device and that they have some kind of autonomy over the device as well. Yeah. It, I, these iPads
0: really are the future. I think these tablet computing devices are what people are going to be using in 20 years, much more than computers, in my opinion. And the last three... I don't even think it's 20 years, David. Yeah. Well, I'm just thinking I when think they, when they're grown, eight? I guess.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, for sure, yeah. I mean, that's the thing, and that was a, a question that people asked us at the start of our deployment. Was well, surely when they get a job, they're going to need to know Windows, right? Uh, and I, I think you know, if you if you go to any business today, you will see somewhere any certainly any major business you will see somewhere tablets being used. And I've I've kind of been keeping my eye on this over the past year because I've started to see it more and more, and. It's remarkable just when you start to look for that, how many places you're seeing it. I mean, seeing gate agents at Heathrow Airport using iPads for customer service, uh, get on the plane in the British Airways flight attendants are closing the plane using an iPad. Um, you know, people in shops are taking inventory on an iPad. You know, it's just, it's everywhere already and, and it's only going to grow. Yeah. How have so, you all you know, the,
1: managed that problem of balancing security with with usability? Have you you mentioned that you you use some security settings? Are you just invoking those kind of through configurator and with parental controls so that they can't be uninstalled, or what what decisions have you made?
2: Yeah, so the way that we secured our our we we guaranteed our security settings in a way that LA did not is that before we deployed the iPads, we, we, we put certain profiles onto everybody's iPad through configurator with a password, which means that unless you know the password, there's no way to get that uh, profile off the device um so that's that's more secure and that's where we put our core settings which is basically just those security ones that i talked about earlier and then the rest are pushed out over mdm so we know we know that you know should a pupil remove their device from mdm there will be some profiles that go away but it's not critical that those are gone because we know that the ones that we really care about are, are still on the device we're also filtering our network um obviously that's been in place for years and just it just continues as it ever did um but also the thing we that you have to be careful about is when when you send these devices home you have to communicate carefully in your policies that there are some that we filter our network but we don't filter your network at home so that's something you know the way we see it is that um on our network we will handle the filtering on your network the ipad gets whatever filtering you've installed and you being the parent in this case, uh, and in many cases that's none, of course, as, as as we know. But that's a decision for the home. That's not something that we should uh, we or we can get involved in.
0: Do you guys give any guidance to the families about ways to install filtering at their homes, like Open DNS or some solution like that?
2: We recommended Open DNS Family Shield in the past, and and I know some families are using that. Uh, very few families have come back and asked for help with that. I mean, I think. Uh, in large part, either they don't care or they already know what to do, it's like, um, or perhaps their, their internet providers are, are giving them some stuff as well.
0: Yeah, that's something I. do. It's like every time I go to a friend or family's house and we get on this subject, I never leave without enabling Open DNS on their networks for them. <laughs> and you know, that's kind of like yeah. my service. If you give me a pizza, I'll put Open DNS on your network, and and nobody don't has deal. ever come back to me with any problems. It just it just works, and. Um, Mm -hmm. I wish I wish they made it easier and I'm not sure there's a way to do that because you've got to get into the router and do things. But um, if you could make that kind of a check the box thing, I I think every parent would would be interested in installing something like that in their home.
2: Well, the British government are working on that right now. Yeah, I guess (laughs) they're 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 trying to make it opt in. uh, They're trying to make it opt out filtering for UK ISPs. Yeah. So they
0: want to get all the naughty bits out of Britain, period.
2: Yeah, good luck with that.
0: I just (laughs) wanted to say naughty because you guys have already said it twice, so.
2: (laughs) Bingo.
1: (laughs) and and then what happens with just repairs and and maintenance to the ios devices i know you said thankfully you don't have to deal with that much because you have a fairly low repair rate but Mm -hmm. um do you do any of that in-house do you have an agreement where you ship all those out to apple or when something goes wrong with somebody's ipad if it doesn't appear to be physical if it it may be software related is there a process that you follow so what do you do with the two percent that fail a
2: great question um in all honesty, we have almost never had a software problem with an iPad, uh, and I say that we've had bugs and we've had uh, apps that have been poor, but I've never, I've never had to reinstall iOS to solve a problem. I've never, I've just never done that. Um, it's usually very obvious if there's a problem that requires a swap. Um, so, but we don't have any particular maintenance arrangement. What we do is we just use the Genius Bar. We have two Apple stores pretty close by, uh, which is great. There's actually, um, this is a critical thing, actually. This is more important than people really plan for in in most one-to-one deployments. But when you go one-to-one, it's so important that every pupil has a working device every day that they're at school. And if if you don't have systems in place to make that happen, then you're going to have a problem at some point. There's a school not far from here who who did a a rollout of um, Android tablets to a year group. And they had unbelievable problems with the device just failing because it wasn't that well built. Uh, And they they saw up to 30% failure rate in one year, uh, straight up failure rate of of the device. Um, And also it was taking between six and 10 weeks for them to get the device back after it had been fixed. And because of the high failure rate, they couldn't possibly afford to keep enough spares on site that they could, they could swap them in and out. So, uh, in that situation a lot of kids you know just spent a lot of time without a device whereas for us because the failure rate on ipads is very low we can keep enough spares on site that we can do a, a straight swap in school and then what i'll do after that is i'll 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 just drive up to our local apple store and just drop it on the genius bar and if it's a warranty thing they'll they'll fix it for me if i've got to pay a repair cost i'll pay a repair cost um we don't carry apple care on our devices because with failure rate like that and damage rate like that there's it just isn't worth the money Uh, we're much much cheaper just to pay out of pocket when we have a problem
0: you know it's interesting to troubleshoot an ipad just in my own home you know if, if one of the computers in the house goes bad there's so many things i need to do to figure out what's going on and with my kid's ipad i turn it off and i turn it back on and that usually fixes it and if it doesn't then I'll take it to the to the app, to the Apple store that's that's my whole troubleshooting methodology
2: yeah and that's a much that's an undervalued part of the Apple experience I, mean, I know not everybody's got a genius bar as close to them as i have and certainly schools in edinburgh in particular are quite far away from a genius bar because there isn't an Apple store in edinburgh yet but we, we we have debated for years whether we should get some kind of Apple certification for repairs on site or whatever, but the time that we required that was like seven years ago. And today, there's absolutely no way that that would make sense for us to do that because, you know, I just, I drive 25 minutes, I drop the thing off, I go and get a cup of coffee at Starbucks, and I come back and I've got a working iPad again that goes back into our spare stock. And that is, compared to what happens with other technology vendors, that is that's worth money i mean that's worth it. to me that's worth the difference between buying an ipad and buying a cheaper android device the fact that i can do that and it takes me an hour to get a repair instead of weeks and weeks and weeks of postal and phone hassle that that justifies the additional cost to me alone apart from all the other benefits
1: now if you're in an area that doesn't have an apple store nearby do you think that makes a difference
2: well, I think what it might mean is that you might have to carry a few more spares because the chances of something going wrong with another one, while that first one is away, um, is increased. Uh, but, you know, I, th- I think there are some schools, I mean, I know Bradley, my, my podcast partner, he has Macintosh repair certification because they are, I think, two, two and a half hours away from an Apple store in any direction where they are. He's in, in Chattanooga, Tennessee. So he, he carries that certification. And if I was in his situation, I would as well. But for me, because we're closer by, it's cheaper for me just to make it Apple's problem.
0: Yeah. So now you've been doing this for, what is this, your fourth year with this one-to-one program?
2: This is our fourth year. Yeah.
0: The, um, what are the biggest problems you faced and what are the biggest surprises you've seen in terms of good things?
2: that 's a great question uh, the, the biggest problem the biggest problem from a technical point of view, the biggest problem I have right now is um, keeping track of who has which apps on their devices, and our deployment model for the younger kids is actually is costing me time at the moment because i, I haven 't refined it enough so far for the secondary kids that has been a dream having them have their own Apple ID, manage it themselves, and install apps through a gift code from us that is costing me zero time every week. And I spend no time managing their devices because they do it for me. And, and it's great. Um What has also been very interesting is the fact that um the impact of, of being a one-to-one computer school ripples out into lots of other areas. And we're starting to bump into some of those in terms of how far can we take this before we're too far ahead of everybody else. And I, I think we're starting to get to that point now. What do you mean by that? Where, Well, what I mean by that is, you know, a school has to interact with other agencies in the context that you work. So whether that's an exam board or uh, government or school inspectors or something like that, that um, sometimes our school can look quite different to other schools and it can be hard for people to, to fit that into a frame of reference that they know. So it, it sometimes appears a little strange to them because they're not used to seeing schools that use computers this much. Um, so for example, he, I mean, here here's the, the big one, right? Is we use computers all the time. We've got kids who have are growing up using computers all the time for, uh, for all of their kind of major pieces of work. And eventually we're going to put them into an exam room and have them handwrite an essay on paper. Yeah. There's... I would argue that there is an open debate right now as to whether that is a valid form of assessment for the kind of teaching and learning that we're doing now. And certainly is it a valid preparation for the actual environment that people are going to leave school and go into. And I think there's a real challenge for education and certainly for exam boards all over the world, not just in Scotland, but all over the world as to what is it is memory the most important thing? And should we really be requiring students to depend on their memory as much as we do? Um, why is it that there's no collaboration in exams? You know, is that how we work? Do we all work individually? Absolutely not. Um, but the problem is with, with that and with higher order thinking skills, such as um, if, if you're heard of like Bloom's Taxonomy or things like that, assessing all of these things is much, much harder and also much more expensive than assessing memory through a simple test. And I think there are some people doing great work in Scotland trying to ask those questions and trying to come up with answers that scale up to a national education system. But I, we're already in a situation where, for example, in mathematics, we are deliberately underutilizing what the iPad can do because the, the requirements of the exam, for example, say that pupils have to be able to do the mechanical processes of mathematics, uh, which any actual working mathematician would leave to a computer today.
0: Yeah, and the iPad itself really lends itself to a different format of examination that could maybe look at some of these other areas. So it, it is in the future at some point. It has to be.
2: Well, you say it has to be. Uh, education seems particularly resistant to the the claims of the obvious. <laughs> um, um I, I I certainly think this is probably the hardest question that is going to have to be answered. Now, the answer might be we're not doing anything about it. Well, I, and the answer I, might be no one forget it. And but I think- the answer, you know, the, the the debate there is whether or not the, the challenge is for relevance, right? The challenge is not for um, particular skills, or or you know, the kids won't know how to type because they will know how to type because they'll learn outside school. But the challenge is to keep school relevant. To a generation that are moving far beyond what most schools offer today,
0: yeah, it, it seems to me that there's a lot of fear of technology um, in institutions, and uh, that would be the reason why there's so much trouble getting this done. I mean, when I took the bar exam, it was always an essay, but apparently now you can mm-hmm. you can type it. Um, so I don't know where it all goes. Yeah,
2: I, I think I think fear the the actual fear of technology is not. Um, I don't think it's as big a concern today as it might have been, maybe five even five years ago, because I think most teachers and most people are, are now having a a smartphone type experience where they they are using a lot more technology in their personal lives, and and they're seeing that it's not as threatening or as unstable as it might have been years ago. Because let's face it, it was many years ago very unstable and, and very unreliable. But today they're having a much more a much stronger experience of more reliable technology. Which is why, of course, teachers are asking for iPads in their classroom and not computers because they want something that they, are, they have a high degree of confidence that will work reliably for them. Um, but I think that there's a real challenge in scaling that up, you know, because we have you know exams where everybody in the whole of Scotland sits in the same, not in the same room, but sits in a room on the same day at the same time and does the same question paper. And making that happen with computers is really hard. Uh, at the moment, it's only really available for uh, for pupils who have additional support needs, and even that we're finding, you know, for three or four kids is is challenging in terms of effort and reliability.
0: I, you know, because it's a high stakes test. It, it's it's really great though that you're out there figuring these things out, and uh, you know, we have another ad spot, and I'd like to do that, but I'd also like to talk yeah. to you about the person who uses his iPad and almost to the exclusion of his Mac, because outside of the education, you're doing a lot on your iPad. And so I want to get back to that, but let's do our last ad ad spot first.
1: And of course, our exclusive sponsor for this episode are the fine folks over at Smile. And I want to talk a little bit about Text Expander. Um, Text Expander is probably one of the apps that I load, you know, top two or three items anytime I load up a new Mac or, or refresh my Mac, because I use it every day, multiple times a day, Probably more often than I even know that I'm using it. And so very high level, what Text Expander does is it allows you to take large or small snippets of text, whether it be something as simple as an address or a phone number or an email or a, a custom email signature to very large items. Like I use it in the day job for big swaths of contracts that I write, or even sometimes entire form letters and expand those with using very short snippets. So for example, I've got a couple of different words or phrases that I use to sign off on email, depending on the type of email that I send. And I've got two to three characters that I use to expand those with text expanders. And I was talking about this down at MiloFest earlier this year. earlier this month when I was down there and talked about some of the text expander snippets that I use for the day job where I do letters to clients with typical engagement letters or um, letters explaining how this particular process is going to work or how that particular process is going to work. And a lot of those are created using text expander because I don't need to reinvent the wheel every time that I do that. And Text Expander has these great fill-in forms, so it will automatically populate the date. There's a date field in Text Expander, and you can fill in the blanks for name, address, you know, client number, matter number, uh, this is regarding, um, dear blank, here's a paragraph, and depending on the circumstances, you can pick a a fill in the blank saying, no, I want this paragraph, not this paragraph, depending on the circumstances. And boom, with just a couple of keystrokes and a couple of selections, I've got an entire letter pre-populated and ready to go. And it allows me to get my work done much more efficiently. Uh Text Expander is fully optimized and ready for Mavericks. It was ready on day one. Um, you do have to allow it in system preferences and security. So you want to make sure that you're using Text Expander version 4.1.1 or higher. And if you're having any issues with Text Expander and Mavericks, go into System Preferences, Privacy and Security, Accessibility, and make sure that the little checkbox next to Allow Text Expander and Allow Text Expander Helper is checked. Because you'll see when you first install Mavericks, you've got to re-engage all those privacy settings for your various apps and Text Expander is one of them. So make sure you do that. And don't forget, there's also Text Expander Touch for iOS, and they made some changes with iOS 7, and I'm starting to see these developers come on board, um, and update their apps for iOS 7 so that they now have full Text Expander compatibility, including one of my favorite apps that just got a major update, uh, Fantastical, uh, version 2 came out last week, and I am loving that, and I'm loving triggering Text Expander snippets, um, for calendar events, so lunch meetings or, um, appointments and things. Again, I've just pre-programmed those into Text Expander. With some information that I'm expanding into Fantastical because Fantastical has that wonderful natural language shirts, and it will automatically populate my appointments into Fantastical. And so, uh, Text Expander will sync all of your snippets via Dropbox. Keep them in sync between your Mac and your iOS devices. You can find more information over at SmileSoftware.com. You can pick up a copy of Text Expander for Mac for thirty-four ninety-five, or you can find Text Expander for iOS in the iTunes App Store for four ninety-nine. And of course, there's a free trial available on the Text Expander website over again at smallsoftware.com if you want to check it out and try before you buy. And uh, here's a pro tip. After you've been using it for a while, go check out the Text Expander settings and see how much time you've saved with Text Expander because it will tell you, depending on your typing speed, which you can adjust, you've expanded this many snippets, you've saved this many characters, which means you've saved this many hours with Text Expander. Um, and that will get into um, hours, and then after you've been using it for a while, days. So thanks to Smile for their continued support of Mac Power users.
0: How much is it worth to save days? You you know, I made a snippet this morning because my, my parents are both passed away. So my, my sisters and I try and get together once a month for breakfast and, you know, stay connected. And I'm the guy who always initiates that. And so once a month I'm writing this email to them to schedule a breakfast. I'm like, why am I doing this? I made a snippet this morning for the sibling breakfast. Just anything you're going to find, you're going to have use for that. Uh, Fraser. um, Yeah. Um, I, I'm really glad we were able to get through the education stuff. I want to talk to you about some of the nerdy iPad stuff too, though, because as I understand mm-hmm. it, you're just using the iPad for almost <clears throat> everything. So maybe that's a good place to start. What are the parts of your life that you can't use an iPad for at this point?
2: Well, yeah. Um, hmm. Let me think. Uh, Not very much. I mean, there are, there are some situations where I, I want to do a task and I need to get it done um, really quickly or I I need to get it done using data that is on my Mac. You know, so th- it would be silly to spend time transferring that data to my iPad in order to do the task of the iPad because I could just go to my Mac and do it. But, but the only thing that I can't do on the iPad is build iPad software. Or, you know, so there's a couple of apps that I, I make that I still maintain on the Mac using Xcode. But, you know, having knocked down, for example, making the podcast on an iPad, having got that settled down, um, almost everything else I do in my life, I could do on the iPad or the Mac. And it's just a, it's something that's just a question of, um, is it faster to do it on the iPad or to do it on the Mac? And if I'm away from my Mac, it's faster to do it on the iPad because the best computer is the one that's with you. But other times, you know, maybe I've, I've got a Um, copy and paste a whole lot of data off a website and then put it into a document. And then that's going to be faster on the Mac because I can quickly, more quickly multitask. But it will be interesting to see, you know, with things like the the iPad Air, whether the device merely being faster itself means that multitasking between applications becomes something that's much easier to do on iOS than it has been with old, slower devices in the past.
0: Yeah, And as we're recording this, you've only had the iPad Air for a day, so you're probably still figuring that out.
2: Hard, hard to comment on that right now, but I think that... I still think that there are some things that could be in iOS that are not in iOS that would help, you know, serious sort of power user productivity uh, very substantially. But I, I think based on where we are right now, I think that there's a lot of tasks that can be done uh, solely on iOS and in some cases are actually more pleasant to do on iOS.
0: Like what are those?
2: Well, for example, things like... Um, reading and marking up documents Mm -hmm. is something that is, is, you know, natural on an iPad and almost bizarre on a Mac, you know, trying to highlight a PDF using your trackpad on a Mac is, is agonizing. Whereas it's completely natural on an iPad. Um, Yeah. And for instance, in my life, uh,
0: I spend a lot of time every day in PDF files. And I was mm -hmm. telling you at the beginning how I'm kind of trying to figure out which iPad to get. And I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm going to get the mini, but, The big one still goes with me to work every day, and just for that reason. I research, uh, I do online research, and I do document analysis exclusively on the iPad with a Jot stylus. It's just so much Mm -hmm. more convenient, and it just feels more natural to me.
2: It's the right form factor for doing that kind of thing. Yeah. Obviously, you know, there are things like drawing and so on where you would previously have hooked up a lot of equipment to your Mac to be able to do that, whereas the iPad's natural user interface is much more conducive to that kind of thing. Um, there are other things, though, that like, you know, being able to convert a web page into a PDF is something that I would like to be able to do a lot more easily on an iPad. Um, and also, I think the, 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 big, um, the big thing that's missing right now in iOS is the ability to take a document that's stored in one place Edit it in a second app and save it back to its original location without having to make intermediate copies in between. Yeah. So, for example, if you have a PDF in Evernote, you want to edit it in in PDF Pen. You've got to do a copy into PDF Pen, then you've got to do a copy back into Evernote, and that's not Evernote's fault and it's not PDF Pen's fault. It's iOS's fault that that's not possible. Um, and I had hoped for a little bit more of that in iOS seven, but it's clearly not there yet. Yeah. Last week uh, we I, uh, I think yeah
0: sooner yeah, last week we did a show on. Uh, Mavericks, and we we're talking about tagging in Mavericks, which I think is mm. is a nice step forward. But it seems to me the penny really drops for tagging when those tags go over to iOS, and I can see all my iCloud documents that are tagged with my history class or whatever tags I've set up, and then that would conceivably solve that problem. And uh, it's just not there. Yeah, yet. well,
2: I, I think I think it needs to be more generic than that, though, because. I, the the basic fundamental problem is that one app cannot write into another app's sandbox, and that's there's obviously perfectly good security reasons for that being the case in in as a default. But you know, for PDF Pen, for example, to be able to put a PDF back into Evernote, the whole inter-app communication layer on iOS is weak, and is weak compared to Android, and is 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 feeble compared to the Mac, uh, and I think. If if I was interested in pushing uh, iPads as a, as a productivity and power user tool, which I kind of got the sense that Apple was in the iPad Air introduction with their focus on things like iLife for iOS, um, and I work for iOS, I would be looking at some kind of mechanism where um, I could, as, as a data container application like Evernote or Dropbox, I could request an editing session in another app, and then the app could notify me that that session had finished. I mean, for years, there's been a thing on the Mac called Edit and Edit, where you could take text in a standard, uh, uh, standard Cocoa text view and send it to Edit for editing and then send it back. And that was a hack on top of the system, but that's the kind of thing you can do in a mature operating system that you can't do on an immature operating system like iOS. And I think if we had that feature the ability to round trip a file between two different application sandboxes. If we had that feature and we had the ability to change the default applications for things like URLs and so on. And if we also had the ability to connect, um, to make and the integration between apps the responsibility of the receiving application and not the sending application i think those three features would go a long way to making ios a real power user platform
0: and the disappointing part of this is that this complaint is not new i mean this has been we've been talking about this now for two or three years and yeah. every year we think well maybe next year they'll they'll bring a a more robust sharing method to the device and i have a feeling this year they were pretty busy with the whole redesign hmm. um but Boy, if they don't bring it out, yeah. Up,
2: Go ahead. I mean, I think I think that um, two things to say about that. One is that you know what was the priority for this year. You know, n- the press weren't complaining about the fact that iOS didn't have a round tripping system. They were complaining that it looked old fashioned. So the visual redesign was much more important uh, now. But I think it, this is also a wee bit like the copy and paste from from early versions of iOS. That this is an opportunity to redefine how this works. And I, there are some people who say, well, well surely I, Apple should just make a Finder for iPad and, and introduce the file system. That would be catastrophically the wrong thing to do, because I know from my personal experience of teaching, but also just my experience of helping other people use iOS, that the lack of a file system is absolutely a feature. And the fact that it causes pain for a few nerves is nothing compared to what it has opened up for ordinary people to have a comfortable, relaxing and understandable experience of a computer. So what I'm saying here is I'm not saying bring, bring the finder to iOS because that would be a huge mistake, but there's obviously a massive security issue to be considered here. And I think it's right that they should take some time to get it right. But at the end of the day, like with copy and paste, I think this has to come to iOS. Otherwise it will always be a more limited platform in certain ways than, say, the Mac. And I hope that there's courage inside Apple to make it so that iOS is at least as capable as the Mac over time. And I think there is, but it's just taking time to get it right.
0: So in the past, when I've said, well, why don't we get an iCloud app that just shows me all my iCloud documents, that's misguided and wrong.
1: That's where I was going to. Because I'll tell you, that's still a, a point of frustration for a lot of people that I talk to, is I don't understand where my iCloud documents are. I don't understand if I have if I have an iCloud document and pages where that is because it's no longer on my Mac anymore. But yeah, but it kind of is, but I have to go get it in a different place.
2: Yeah, I I think that's that's more of an issue for people who have come to iCloud and iOS from the Mac side. Uh, People who are, because I mean, where is the next million Mac users coming from? Where are the next 5 million Mac users coming from? They are going to be experienced iOS users before they're experienced Mac users. There's no question about that. And I think that everything that Apple's doing right now is is trying to make the Mac more comfortable for iOS users because they have so many more of those people compared to how many Mac us- Mac users they have. That you know, there's no way that they, that it makes sense to me anyway, and, and I hope to Apple as well to try and turn iOS into the Mac because the Mac was the one that people didn't want. Yeah. Right? that's a good point point. and ios is the one it, ios is the system that millions of people want and will line up for nobody's lining up for a new mac and of course there's issues to do with how mature the platform is and how saturated the market is but even just in the marketplace of ideas ios has has won where the mac has has not succeeded to the same degree and i think if anything it would make more sense to make the mac look like ios and perhaps behave like iOS a little bit. And I think Mavericks, if you look at things like the power management behavior of of Mavericks, those kind of things are starting to come to the Mac. Now it's not it's clearly not going in the same direction, but with things like Gatekeeper and the Mac App Store, you can see that Apple are trying to bring some of these ideas back to the Mac again. Uh, and clearly iOS iOS is Apple's main platform. And the Mac is has to be secondary just by the numbers. Uh, so I think that's the way you're going to see it happen.
0: I know in my own experience, there are certain apps that I have on both the Mac and the iPad. And in, and in a lot of cases, I'm faster on them on the Mac just because it's a Mac and it's got a keyboard and a trackpad and all those other great input devices. Mm-hmm. Um, and nevertheless, sometimes I find myself doing productivity-related tasks on the iPad And I can't even put my finger on why, except it's just a more pleasant experience to sit on the couch and do them there, even if it takes a few more minutes.
2: Yeah. I mean, stopwatch productivity is not the only measure of, of of value. I mean, if you, if you did it on the iPad and it was slower, but you liked it versus doing it on the Mac and being frustrated all the time, um, then that's a win for iOS. Yeah. And I, I, I have certainly taken a couple of trips this year where I've only taken an iOS device and those were professional trips where I was doing my job, but I only needed iOS. I just didn't need whatever it was the Mac could provide me. Um, and I certainly didn't need the complexity or, or the additional weight to carry of an iPad, a phone, and a, and a Mac for, I mean, what I was going to do, go and do a presentation. I mean, in years past, in, in, you know, three or four or five years ago, maybe not as far as that, maybe three years ago, I, I would take the Mac and the iPad and I would do all my presentation prep on the Mac copy the file to the iPad and present it from the iPad. And that was kind of like the first step of that. But today I absolutely build my presentations. Well, I build them on the Mac and the iPad simultaneously, depending on what I want to do at the time. You know, if I've got pictures in Aperture that I want to put into my presentation, then yeah, I'll do that edit on the Mac. But now with the the unified file format in iWork, I can do that on the Mac and then I can transparently, with no loss of fidelity, go and work on the iPad on the same file 10 minutes later you know i know that the
0: new iWork is getting a lot of heat and katie and i are going to do a show on it and i'm going to spend more time with it i've been kind of busy on other projects right now but i gave a mm-hmm. presentation this week and i used the new keynote and it worked just fine for the stuff i've been doing with keynote so i in, in some ways it's better uh I, I like the way for instance you can set animation sequences with it it's much more visual and easier to mm-hmm. to kind of mm-hmm. rock now but the um I think I'm getting off on a tangent. Uh, Fraser, when you first started using an iPad, um, I'm sure there were things you thought that even you, as a as an intelligent power user of this stuff, would never be able to do, but now you're doing. What What are some of those things?
2: Well, I can't say there were many things that I... Th- I never subscribed to the idea that there would always be things that weren't possible on an iPad. Even from the first time I saw it, I thought... That's a device that's going to ride Moore's law into the future, and will eventually be, you know, as powerful. Because I mean, I'm looking at a MacBook Air here that I owned the first MacBook Air, and it was a wheezy, slow thing that shut down one of its cores every time because it was too <laughs> hot for the box it was in. Yeah, and <laughs> I remember the computer. And <laughs> now I run Final Cut Pro 10 on that machine. Yeah, you know, and that's only what three years later. Yeah, two years later. Um. So I, I never ever bought into the idea that there will always be something that is outside the reach of an iOS device. Um, but there are certainly things that people told me was true. And people said to me things like, well, you'll never teach computer science on an iOS device. And now I do that every day. Um, and, you know, you look at things like iMovie, you look at things like iPhoto for iOS. Mm-hmm. Those are phenomenally powerful things and far more pleasant to use in the Mac versions and for some tasks. And I look at that and I go, what, why do I want to go back to the Mac? yeah if i can do it here and the reasons i want to go back to the macro performance and storage capacity and i think increasingly those things are getting solved in iOS
0: well it's going to be interesting and uh i really appreciate you coming in and sharing all this with us and and it's really quite it's ins- inspiring because you know education is something that right now it feels to me like at least in america everybody is in despair over education and we feel like the system isn't working. We're not even sure what we're supposed to be doing, even those of us that have children in it. And we're trying to do our best, and I think the teachers are trying to do their best, and, and there's just a lot of pressure. And when I hear your stories, it, it really encourages me that, you know, in the future, we're going to figure some of this stuff out, and kids are going to truly get trained for what they need to know.
2: Yeah, we'll get those 21st century skills right, but the 21st century might be half over before we do
0: yeah hopefully not hopefully not and you know we've He's got hoping. we've got a lot of listeners on the show who are in education and we hear from them in emails and they're just like you and and they are it's people like you that are gonna gonna fix that for us and we're all thankful
2: no pressure <laughs> Yeah, no pressure at <laughs> yeah. all yeah i'm gonna fix education for you. <laughs>
0: well you you have the house. It. i mean <laughs> i'll do my best it's already started i can tell <laughs> all right so fraser where can people
2: Great. find you so my blog is uh, spears.org that's s-p-e-i-r-s.org and i'm on twitter as fraser spears and you can find ways to email or i message me all over the web yeah
0: and if you're out there at a school you can hire fraser to come help you sort some of these things out i know you do some absolutely. of absolutely
2: yeah and, or, travel worldwide and you know, uh, it doesn't have to be the UK.
0: Yeah. And also uh, you have your podcast. So where does everybody find that once again?
2: So the podcast comes out every Monday. The URL is outofschool.net and it's on iTunes and the app search boxes that you can find all over the apps these days.
0: And if, if for no other reason to listen to a Scottish accent every Monday, it's totally worth it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and uh, we'll of course uh, have
1: links to all of this and everything that we've talked about in our show notes which you can find at five by five slash mpu slash 163 for this episode or at our website at macpowerusers.com
0: you can send us feedback to feedback at macpowerusers.com and you can find us on twitter we're at macpowerusers and katie's at katie floyd and i'm at max sparky
1: Fraser, thank you so much. It's, it's always a thrill to have you, and, uh, and I, definitely we're going to have you back in another year or so, and we'll talk about how everything has changed with the iPad Pro and, and iOS 8 and 9 a year or so from now. Yeah.
2: I can't wait to tell you what I think of them. You
0: think we're going to get an <laughs> iPad Pro?
2: Well, people have speculated that, that, that the existence of the name Ears pretends an iPad Pro i've been interested in the idea that a bigger ipad could be interesting but i think that's a couple years away yeah. yeah okay well anyway thanks
0: again fraser and also thanks smile for sponsoring the show and everybody go check out pdf Pen scan plus it it'll blow your mind totally with it see you next week